You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Greetings. Alan Seiler. Heidi ho And Veronica Daschle. Howdy. <laughs> Are you just stealing howdy now? No, I didn't say, I didn't say it like him. I'm, and also I said howdy. I'm going to message Mike. I didn't say howdy. I said howdy. Okay. Uh, totally different. I love it. I say it anyway, <laughs> in real life, even. True. I mean, who doesn't? Right. <laughs> We're in the South. Come on. All right. Well, I've got a, I've got one news item this week to get us started off with, and it's kind of a cool one, and it's that uh, Gates McFadden has started a new podcast. So she's joining, like, us who love to do podcasts. She's one of us now. And awesome. it's called, and it's really cute because it's called Investigates. It's pretty <laughs> I love that. That's so Gates investigates. Who do you think you are? And it's basically interviews with her Star Trek co-stars. Sweet. I love that. So far, her it doesn't launch until May, I think it is. Um, and so far, her uh, her guests that have been announced are all next generation people. So people that she really knows and, you know, has been friends with for 30 years or whatever. She's but, got access. And yeah. And she can just like call them and say, Hey, will you do a thing? And they'll be like, yeah, of course it's you. Right. Um, but I, I do hope that, I mean, if it's just next gen people, it's going to be a short run of a podcast. Maybe that's her intent. Maybe it's a, you know, a short run thing, but I really hope that she keeps doing it and does it with, you know, other extended members of the Trek family. Yeah. When I was looking at it, I, it said that it was a limited podcast. Oh, uh, so it is a, yeah. It's like, a, it's like no. eight people and eight episodes and done kind of thing. Right. I'm sure Gates McFadden doesn't want to commit to doing a weekly Star Trek podcast forever. You know, she's like, she's got other things that could come up. Like well, conventions. Hopefully being on Picard at some point. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm kind of amazed that, um, Gosh, why am I doing this? Um, I'm I'm amazed that Garrett Wong and why am I blanking the guy who plays Robbie McNeil? Robbie, my goodness, Robbie Duffin McNeil. I'm amazed that they're doing their podcast uh, and they're doing it regularly. Robert Duffin McNeil just got married about two weeks ago. Oh wow! Yeah, he moved to see. He used to live in Atlanta, and then he moved to Canada, and he may or may not be in Utah or something. Montana. I heard him saying. I know he just finished directing uh, Resident Alien. Yay! Those guys are still finding time to do a weekly podcast. It's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Because Robbie stays very busy. No kidding. Yeah. He, he, he's like a pretty in-demand director. Yeah, more than I thought. Because I think I think it was Resident Alien or something else he was just casually saying recently, just a couple of months ago, he was filming on site in Canada or Iceland or some crazy place. And he was talking about how they had to... Um, he had to cut his beard because that the, at that time, the protective gear they had to wear just because of the COVID was so bad. He couldn't even risk a beard breaking his seal. Mm-hmm. And that was like one thing he did. And then he 
packs up from here in Atlanta and moves to Vancouver and then he got married and he he's a busy guy. Nice guy too, he seems. Yeah, yeah. Seems to be. Now yeah. the, for their podcast, it helps a lot. They're buddies. Yeah. Like in, right. in real life. And it's just sitting around reminiscing about, you know, make making these yeah. things that they made so long ago. But so they may have recorded like 10 podcasts in one day. <laughs> I don't know if they do that, but, but okay, I was being facetious. <laughs> yeah, it is, I mean, it is possible. Yeah. I mean, for them, it's also finding the time to rewatch all those episodes because they basically go episode by episode. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. They watch them and, and you can listen to them, watch it as part of the Patreon. But I find interesting to the point you guys are making now and Charles about bringing Gates, bringing other people in because yeah. they know people. They will a couple of times they'll start talking. They'll go, just call them up. And one episode, Robert Duncan McNeil called Robert Picardo to talk about a specific point. Robert Picardo picks up the phone while he's riding on his bike. And in the middle of them <laughs> talking, he hits a bunch of leaves and skids and hits the ground and bangs up his um, his uh, his butt pretty badly. And they got all this on the podcast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of awesome. Sometimes they'll just go, hey, just call him up. They tried to call Tim Russ up recently, and they, he, he didn't answer the phone. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I wouldn't answer if they – well, I would answer if they called, but – You better answer if they call you. <laughs> right. If so I knew Alan's them, got, I'd be like, I know why they're calling. Alan's got contacts. So Charles, maybe one day we should do that. Let's get into an argument about something. Go, Alan, let's call up somebody you know from Star Trek and just see if they answer the phone, right? I mean, I don't let's have call that. Katie Manning. She's yes. not on Star Trek, but I don't care. <laughs> I could do that. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, Keith, you had some uh, This Week in Trek for us. Yeah, since we're in America, what is normally tax day, April 15th. So um, I, I, it was funny, I was thinking about that this is tax day. And then it's one of those things of I guess they don't have taxes in the future, at least not in the world of the Federation, because they don't have money anymore. So, you know, very interesting to think about what it'll be one day when you have a society where you don't have to worry about money or resources or any and everything is just kind of given to you when well, I given to you, you know, you earn it. But um as a recording, we're looking at April 15th, and there's a couple of things I thought was kind of interesting going on at this time. And in, um, in 1998, on this day, was filming for what some consider the best episode of Deep Space Nine in the Pale Moonlight. Mm-hmm. Also considered by many to be one of the least Star Trek episodes of, these, of um, Star Trek because I won't give any spoilers because of the action Cisco takes in that episode. And I think in the Pill of Moonlight is one of those shows where if you like it, you like Deep Space Nine. If you really, really hate it, then you probably don't like a lot of what Deep Space Nine has to offer. I tend to think Roddenberry would have hated that episode. Matter of fact, I'm positive he would have hated the episode. He would have shot it down. But by many considered to be the finest episode in uh, the entire series of Deep Space Nine. We should do a podcast on that episode. Yeah, I, I agree. think that because... Star Trek doesn't hadn't generally done that kind of episode is why it stands mm-hmm. out and is so beloved. Yeah. If yeah. it was if it was that every week, it would have been unremarkable. But because of the, the 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 sort of the storytelling style that Roddenberry set up, that when they did go that route, it just it's it's it stands out a lot in your mind. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, good point, Veronica. One I think one show we should do one day is some of the actions taken. Again, I won't do any spoilers, but there's a there's an action that um Jonathan Archer takes in Enterprise, I think we all know about the desperation times, and it has to do with another ship he encounters, and I'll just leave it at that. That is um, one of the worst things I've ever seen in Star Trek history, and it'd be interesting to have a discussion about you know, an action like that being taken. Also going on this time, in the same years in Pale Moonlight, 
1998 was the filming of what some people consider to be one of the least of the Star Trek products, and that was the TNG film Insurrection. Mm. Um, I don't know of, of people who actively hate Insurrection, but I think so many people say, I think rightly, that it feels like an extended episode on the big screen. <laughs> well, honestly, I thought most, all, pretty much all of the TNG movies felt like long episodes. Yeah, this is I true. think that one of them is better than all the others. Yes. First Contact. And far yes. more successful than the other ones. But the other ones, yeah. especially the first one, just felt like an episode. Yeah, this is true. This is true. I like Insurrection. It's just okay. I like Nemesis better. But yeah, I agree. When I, I watched Insurrection recently, it was just on. And you're right. I just came away and go, that was a nice two-part episode of the TNG. And <laughs> yeah, if you've never read um, Michael Pillar's book, Fade In, it's been no. officially released now. It was circulating sort of a pirated version at one point, but mm-hmm. um, it's sort of his account of the creation of his his struggles with writing the script for Insurrection and what he felt went wrong. And um, at the time, they wouldn't let him publish it because there, there was some pushback because it was a very, very honest. Uh, but now I know uh, his wife has published it. It's sort of like a textbook form. I think mm-hmm. it's like it's expensive. It's like a $70 like textbook style. Um, or Google it, but it's out there, and uh, it's it's if you're if you're someone who's interested in, in writing or storytelling, it's pretty fascinating read. All right, Charles, this is an oh, aside, very very quick aside. Okay, is there a Star Trek book you have not read? Yeah, I'm sure there are. <laughs> yes, I was gonna say <laughs> I've not read a lot of Star Trek. Books. We have lots of Star Trek books on their, our shelves that yeah. we found and we're very excited about, and have not cracked open. Because uh, I'm like Alan, it seems like you always have a reference of a book. Always, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I don't reference cool. the ones I haven't read. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you certainly should. <laughs> well, he may know enough about him from the like the summary and talking online. He'd be like, "Well, in this book, I'm I a nerd, Alan. This may come as a surprise to you. <laughs> <laughs> you hide it well. I would never. Have yeah, he also, really does." <laughs> Also uh, airing in this date in 1998, same time as uh, Pale Moonlight, was a Voyager episode called The Omega Directive. Mm-hmm. An interesting one with Seven of Nine, where basically they discover a molecule that is so incredibly powerful that even just a few molecules that are almost invisible can destroy all of subspace. It's, a, it's an interesting show that basically talks about the Borg and Seven and the whole thing about the request for perfection. It's an interesting show, pretty good one. Um, two more show things I found on that time, and jumping all the way back to 1986, the film The Voyage Home was finishing up uh, mm. film from the original series, which is, I would say, probably after The Wrath of Khan, probably the most popular of the original series films. Definitely popular with non-track fans because it's just a fun romp home. Um, gave the crew a chance to kind of let their hair down and relax after two relatively, you know, two very serious movies. And then... 1999 on this date, filming was taking place on the finale for Deep Space Nine, What You Leave Behind. And my opinion, the best series finale so far, uh, with apologies to those who love all good things. Apology uh, accepted. What- <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, DS9 was better. Sorry, love. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's a couple of two birthdays I thought were really interesting. Way back in 1922, born on this day, was one Michael Ansara. Wow. Yeah, absolutely famous, for, as people may know, from his portrayal as Kang yep. in Star Trek in both the original series 
and in Deep Space Nine. And, and Voyager. His, and Voyager, that's right. Good point. And Voyager. And his sci-fi and, and fantasy and animation credits are just too many to name number. This man, he had a voice that people love. One of the things I think outside of Star Trek, I will always love him for was he was the voice for Mr. Freeze in yes. the animated series. <laughs> and he just knocked that character out of the park. Okay, was this the 90s animated series? Yeah. Or is this pri- okay. It's the, actual yeah. that's, that's the, the one I know. Series. Yeah, just absolutely amazing. And one other birthday, 1940 on this date, was born one Robert Walker. Robert oh, wow. Walker, you may know of as Charlie X. Junior. Um, junior, yeah, Robert Walker Jr. So I'm sorry, I just threw throwing that in there. Charlie X from the original series of Star Trek, one of my favorite episodes of the original series, famous for an effect they started using where when at the end of the show, when Charlie says, I want to stay, it kind of goes, I want to stay, stay, stay. It was this really kind of corny effect that they used many times in Star Trek. It was Great chilling episode. though, the way they, they used it though. When it really was. That, that whole last sequence was, chilling. I'm surprised he was, he said 1940. So he was like 25, 26 when they yeah, made that episode. A lot, a lot older. Yeah. Wow. So was he the one that played a, Freakian no. Enterprise. Okay, which one was that? That, that was I'm... you talking about Baylock? Yeah. Yeah, that was um that was the kid, right? Clint Howard. Clint Howard, Howard Ron yeah. Howard's brother. Exactly. And he was in okay. Discovery season one as well. What? Yes, as an Orion. Mm-hmm. Very good point. Wow. And that's all I have for this week in Trek. Well, great job. Thank you. All right. So unless Frank, unless do you have anything? I do not have any. <laughs> I knew you did. Uh, so we're gonna take a quick break <laughs> uh, to promote our fellow ESO Network podcast shows, and when we come back, we'll get right into our discussion topic. Woo-hoo. Cool. We are the Air Station One podcast, and we approve this message. Hey, I'm Judy, and I've been a listener of Earth Station One for over 10 years. Yeah, every day while Mike edited together over 550 episodes, you know all that geek-themed blah, blah, blah. I've listened so much that now I hear howdy in my sleep. You, too, can enjoy all the Earth Station One fun wherever fine podcasts are found. Okay, Mike, I did this for you. Are we going to get another dog now? The Earth Station One podcast, over 10 years for geeks by geeks. (laughs) All right, so for our um, main discussion topic this week, we are continuing our discussion about first officers. Last episode, we covered uh, Spock and Riker. So this week, we move on through the rest of the 24th century um, with Kira and uh, Chakotay and T'Pol. So she's not 24th century, so I don't know why I grouped it that way. (laughs) Never mind. The legacy ones. The legacy, exactly. 90s. And what I think is really, really interesting about these is that, and I don't think I noticed, I mean, I noticed it like when I was watching each series, but I don't think I really noticed the pattern at first. Every one of these first officers is non-Starfleet. So I think that it's really interesting, especially with DS9. um, Clearly they were setting up uh, a way to have a little bit of, uh, you know, some tension between the captain and the first officer. There are two. I'm going to tell him no even more. Yeah, exactly. There are two very different perspectives at work here, two very different agendas. Um, But when you keep watching these shows, the same thing is in the case through all the other ones too. Uh, Voyager, we have 
a Starfleet captain and a Maquis first officer. And in Enterprise, we have a Starfleet captain and a representative of the uh, Vulcan science, the Vulcan high command, basically, uh, in T'Pol. So each one of these uh, pairs of characters are coming from very different places with different agendas. And I think it's really interesting that that pattern continued throughout all the rest of the legacy shows. Yeah, I don't know that I'd ever thought of it either as a pattern until you mentioned it today. And I was like, oh, yeah, they they did. I, after Kira, they they stuck with that. Well, you have an out, someone outside Starfleet. Now, Chakotay was previous Starfleet, but for right. all intents yeah, and purposes, exactly. he was outside Starfleet. Kind of a dropout. Right. Um, and, and honestly, I don't think that, you know, it, it may be more successful in some shows than others. I think in Voyager, you get a sense of that difference in maybe the first four episodes. Hmm. And then, you know, I think Voyager's biggest weakness is that it never really played up on that Maquis versus Starfleet uh, conflict, that mentality, yeah. that change in, you know, these people are um, basically incorporated into the crew and they may not want to be incorporated into the crew. And how hmm. do they deal with that? Um, so I think that, uh, you know, the whole relationship between uh, Janeway and Chakotay could have been now there were certainly times when it was contentious a couple of occasions but he just became too starfleet quickly for his origin i think yeah with voyager being as episodic as it was it was really when the writer that week remembered that chakotay was had that backstory you know so all of a sudden <laughs> you have chakotay this week has a fire in his belly again and is you know standing up to janeway and i think we all get pretty excited on the episodes when that happens yeah you know well we were just talking about that recently with Equinox Equinox. Yeah. And, you know, anytime Chakotay, you know, stands right up to her and, you know, that that difference in perspective comes into play. I think it, it really highlights his character. I agree. And I really don't think of it happening on that level, except for in Equinox and in Scorpion. Yeah. Those are really the only two times where they. Well, sort and that one where where he was after Seska, he stole the shuttlecraft. I watched that one just yeah. recently where he just took a shuttlecraft and went on a vendetta. Yeah, you that's know? true. That's true. I could see a Starfleet officer doing that though. Maybe, but like when, you know, when Picard was captured by the Cardassians, Riker just sulked in his room. He didn't steal a shuttlecraft and go get him. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the setup. When we first start watching DS9, we have these Starfleet, and this is a really interesting one to me because it's a Starfleet crew that's coming into a non-Starfleet setting. Mm. They're not on a starship. They're not on a Federation planet. Uh, so they're really on someone else's turf. And that's the an, a really interesting setup to me. And I, I, that's one of the reasons that DS9 grabbed me from the very beginning. Um, so what do y'all think about the way that, uh, the relationship between Cisco and Kira was set up at the beginning? I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I don't know how much of it was because later looking back on it, I'm like, oh, look at that. She's so angry all the time, <laughs> <laughs> but there's also that, um, scene, it was probably episode two or three kind of depending, um, where she's like, well, I have to yell at them. And Cisco's like, well, yeah, sure. Just give me my reports. <laughs> <laughs> so he was, he was pretty chill with Kira overall, despite how angry for lack of a better word, she tended to be. Well, I think he knew that she needed time to settle in, you know, 
with to get used to the idea of having these people because you you remember some of the uh Bajorans uh and I think this is a fascinating setup some of the Bajorans felt like we just got rid of the Cardassians by having the federation here we have simply invited another oppressor yeah, yeah I remember someone saying and that. I I find that so interesting so there was there definitely that that sort of like uh with Kira her her allegiance was split she's very true to her own people but at the same time you know she's uh she has this relationship with these starfleet people that is continuing to evolve over the seasons i think she continued to see how useful starfleet could be as well right yeah and she gained a mutual respect for cisco and dax and you know that those people became her family they weren't the outsiders anymore as the show went along yeah um but i think kira always held true to she always had her first allegiance was to bajor yeah. absolutely you know? as it should be that's that was her job yeah her job was to represent that interest. Yeah, I think one of the things I think about Kira is very interesting. When I was first talking about discussing the first officers, and one of the things I was thinking about and we were talking about is you think, how would this um, first officer have functioned if that person were the captain instead of the person who was the captain of the series? And to your point about Kira, I think you'd have two answers. Kira in the first couple of seasons would be a completely different person because she was all about Bajor. She was a former freedom fighter. And I'm going to go into a little deeper into what she actually was. And I remember in the first one or two episodes, she went behind Cisco's back. Oh, yeah. was reporting on him. And he gave her a dressing down, which is, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's, have y'all ever seen that internet, that famous internet thing where they be, they, they grab like every scene of Cisco yelling and put it on a loop? Have <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen it? No. You have got to look at it. It's on YouTube. I'll post it in our group. Somebody, people have gone out and found every scene where Cisco is yelling. You know, Avery Brooks has that stentorian voice and he's a trained actor and he's a trained singer. And they've taken every time he's yelled at somebody like Bashir and so forth. And they just put on this long, like four or five minute YouTube clip. It is hilarious. But he went off on Kira at that time. And the thing was, it wasn't that Kira was treacherous to uh, quote unquote, but as to your point, she just came out of an occupation that lasted generations. And, and as you say, she um, it's not even Federation Station. And then she has to come in and she has to report to a guy who she doesn't know, she doesn't trust. And at that time, yes, they want to go into the Federation maybe, but her thing is, my people are hungry. My people are starving. My people have lost their spirit in a lot of ways. I don't know if I trust this Federation. And I think another thing that makes Kira, in my opinion, the most unique first officer in all of Star Trek history is something that wouldn't probably be, well, it might be done today, but Kira was a terrorist. Yeah. Uh, I called her freedom fighter, but the truth is she was a terrorist. Well, sure. and it, like Damar said, it depends on your perspective. Absolutely. Terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. Uh, and as what's his name said in um, the Star Trek, the, the TNG episode, the, the gut Finn, um, where he talked to Beverly Crutcher and, and he talked about he was no different than uh, George Washington. And she said George Washington was a freedom fighter. And he says, if you win, you're a freedom fighter. If you lose, you were a terrorist. He yeah. says that he was about to blow up the enterprise. So he was a terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and I think at the time that caused a lot of concert, you know, consternation. And DS9 came out in the late 90s. I have no idea if they would have been able to have crafted Kira Norris as a former terrorist just a couple of years later yeah. because 9-11 hit. Oh, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. I've said before, I think DS9 was one of the best post-9-11 shows I've ever seen, and it came yeah. out 10 years early. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Absolutely. And so I think that, and I think Kira had some of the greatest growth on DS9 and I think some of the greatest growth in all of Star Trek because of that point. And yeah, there was times when there's a great episode when um, Dax is going to fight with just speaking to Kang and Kor and Koloth to go uh, fight the guy called the albino. And there's a really interesting little scene where she goes to Kira and she's talking to Kira about going to get blood vengeance. And Kira's like, look, if you haven't killed before and doing what you're about to do and killing like this, killing in cold blood, she's like, I've done it. And, and Dax is basically, well, you've done it before. And she goes, and it takes a little piece of you every single time you do it. And as Kira becomes a more quote unquote likable person and she becomes, um, she becomes a mother in a strange way, <laughs> that still is still in there. You know, she's still that former terrorist. She's still that former freedom fighter. She's still the person I think if you want somebody on your side and, and at your back, it's Kira Norris. I think she's awesome. I think as a captain in the first couple of years, I wouldn't have think she would have done well because she was probably too much about Beja by the end. Um, I believe she even becomes commander of Deep Space Nine. Um, I think she became a really, really strong character that I think is still one of the best in all of Star Trek. Yeah, talking about Kira's growth, by the end of the show, she's in a Starfleet uniform and yeah. teaching Cardassians to defend their home world. Yes. You know, like talk about oh, yes. bringing a character Dude. all the way around. Oh my God, what she an incredible... Oh, Absolutely great. Yes. You know, it, it's, it's, it's the enjoyable thing about it is that it's a, a kind of a slow burn. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it takes time to, to build and to evolve. And yeah. um, at the end of the first season, um, fantastic episode called in the hands of the prophets where um, basically it's a, it's a school bombing, you yes. know, uh, these folks, it's, it's a, it's a creationism versus evolution episode in you know dressed up in sci-fi ways mm -hmm. uh, and somebody bombs the school because they're teaching things that are contrary to what traditional bajoran belief is right. and first of all it's a phenomenal episode but second of all at the end of it kira says th there's kind of this moment between cisco and kira uh they're in ops and they're just the two of them and she says you know, I, I don't think you're the devil, you know? And so it's this really nice moment. And it That's took right. the entire season to get to the point where she admits, yeah. you know, I, I do see you as something other than what these people see you as. I see you, you know, as, as more than that. And, and that growth in her and that relationship it, it, it took that amount of time to get to that point. And that's, that's really good writing. That's really good character development. And that's exactly the reason why I don't think Chakotay was as strongly defined. Yeah. And the relationship between he and Janeway were as strongly defined as what we saw in DS9. Yeah. And if you look at Kira Norris, you're talking about that relationship with Kai Wen. If you think about it, she yeah, had I was about to say. Yeah. Yeah. She had some of the most dynamic relationships in that series. If you think about Kira, you, you think of her relationship with Cisco, who she respected and wasn't awe of because he was the emissary to the prophets. You right. think about her relationship with Goldicott. My gosh, was that complicated? Her relative her relationship with Dumar, to your point about at the end of the at the end of the series, training them, her relationship with Odo. Um, she had in her relationship with Dax, the two women in the main part of the staff. Yeah. She had really deep and complex relationships with a lot of people. And I think it made the show better for how she was so central to the show. Agreed. Yeah. And you Agreed. were mentioning like uh, about Kai Wen. I was wondering, mm -hmm. 
how much she would have developed if there had been a different Kai. Like, because a lot of her change mm. in mind was because she was like, that's true. This person's yeah. crazy. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. If the, the leader of your religion is evil. <laughs> <laughs> let's rethink this a little bit let's let's turn the dial towards starfleet just a hair but it's an interesting narrative choice because it, it puts kira looking out for the best interest of bajor still but siding mm-hmm. with our heroes instead of uh, the bajorans in, in some respects you know yeah. what i mean because kai win was looney tunes yes <laughs> you know and just power hungry as you saw by the end of the series yeah yeah <laughs> but i, I do yeah. Uh, not to get too off track, I, I do think Kai Wen is a fascinatingly yes. complex character. She was not evil. No. She was so, but she was power hungry. That's yeah. def- definitely true. Yeah. But anyway, so back to Kira. <laughs> <laughs> I think Kira is, I think you can pair her more directly than Chakotay than you can with uh, T'Pol. Yeah. Um, because T'Pol was also yeah. an officer from another planet. You know, and often had her own planet's interest in mind, but I don't think DePaul was nearly as loyal to the Vulcans by the end as as Kiros was sort of always true to Bajor. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I think that DePaul definitely had that moment. Well, a lot of moments of, um, you know, the, they always come around to the Starfleet way of thinking. Yeah. But I think it's because she really had her eyes opened as to who the Vulcans were at that point and kind of what they were up to. And, you know, there was a lot of unveiling of some shady stuff. Yeah. Look, look, I mean, just because you hit a listening post inside of an ancient sacred burial ground. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one listening post inside, one underground burial site. (laughs) One thing I, I, and I've said before, I'm not the biggest fan of Enterprise, but one thing I love about Enterprise is that the Vulcans are jerks. (laughs) If you watch the original series, every Vulcan's a jerk. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. That treatment of Vulcans, it's one of those things that people love or hate. Man, I have read so much just excoriating hatred of the Vulcans in Enterprise. And I love it. I love the portrayal because I, I agree with you. They almost broke with who they were. Almost. You know, they almost they well, almost abandoned logic and almost got up. You know, they almost sided with the Romulans. And Lord, if they had turned, I don't ooh, boy. But Enterprise, Enterprise was all about the the road. Yes, you know, it's, yeah. it's about where we start and where we end up. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, before the show started, it was advertised as this is the origin story of the Federation. Right. But it's not just that. It's it's how the Andorians uh, evolved and became the people that we knew later It's how the most particularly how the Vulcans evolved into those yep. people that we know, you know, best from TNG and from TOS. Absolutely. So, you know, it was so it was sort of like a path that everybody was sort of traveling to become who we know them to be later on. Exactly. And Agreed. I think it's super interesting. I love Enterprise personally. Too. And I love to Paul most of all. <laughs> <laughs> I love Carbon Creek. My favorite character is still Porthos. <laughs> but I absolutely adore to Paul. And I think that her character journey um it, it sort of mirrors what we saw with Kira in that yeah. she comes in very uh sort of like narrow focused and uh her experiences with the crew and with the missions really broadens her focus broadens her horizon and uh you know lets her think a whole new way while still maintaining that Vulcan core of hers i, I think she's a fascinating character yeah, I like DePaul a lot. And I like just little bits like in the beginning when humans stink. 
and she has to <laughs> put stuff in her nose. Because I mean, you think if you're in a ship full of aliens, they might stink. That's true. So we uh, we done with Cura? Is there more? To, I think we could talk about Cura forever. I think right? we, oh, yeah. we easily could. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's so cool. Just, okay, one more thing, really quick about Kira. Cool. Was she abs- actually um, didn't couldn't tell that Oda was into her, or was she just ignoring it? Because sometimes it feels like one way, and sometimes it feels like the other. I, I, I can't answer that because I ignored that whole thing. <laughs> I was so uninterested in the freedom fighter and the jelly mold. I just wasn't. <laughs> that, uh, no. Having watched it recently, Veronica, because I'm, I'm finishing up my DS9 rewatch, um, it's absolutely written as if she didn't know. Yeah, yeah. They they wrote it as if she didn't know, and she's stu- she's totally stunned. I mean, there's yeah. a one episode where he's outside. Uh, she, I mean, gosh, I think on two or three occasions he basically is outside her room. She's um spending the night with another dude, yeah. and uh, Odo is just he's so heartbroken. <laughs> the way they write it, she absolutely had no clue. Yeah, I, I agree. I was being facetious about. <laughs> but no, I do I do agree that that's exactly what they were intending. I just don't know how she couldn't. Oh, come on. You've never had that happen? No. Yeah, I think we everyone has. <laughs> Everybody has had somebody that's like them that they have no clue. Maybe you just never found out. That, see? <laughs> you still don't know. Exactly. You're still okay. going through that. That's entirely possible. <laughs> that's a very I good didn't point. have it from my side where I liked someone. That oh, they didn't yeah. We, you're, yeah. Yeah. You make it obvious. Yes. One night you're going to open up your high school uh, annual and read something. Go, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to read a comment. Nope. Actually, I, I literally won't because I didn't go to high school. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. Well, then. <laughs> that's different. Um, so you guys, we were talking about, it's funny, you, and uh, Alan, I think you made a good point contrasting Kira to Chakotay. Chakotay, that's a tough one because you guys, you, you guys actually just kind of depressed me because you, <laughs> well, you pointed out all the stuff that Kira got to do that Chakotay didn't get to do. And I'm, yeah. I'm, on, I'm also on a Voyager rewatch. And I will tell you, I had, I had, um, Voyager is the only Star Trek series I did not watch from beginning to end when it first aired. I just did. And I didn't love it. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. So going through these seven seasons, I'm always finding an episode I've never seen before. And I will tell you one thing, I, to your point, I don't think I realized is that Robert Beltran, I see why by the end of the show, he was irritated. And he wanted off the show. But at the same time, every now and then when they write that character, he is he's borderline dangerous. He's borderline dangerous as a character. Now, there's a there's one episode where the Marquis and to your point, Charles, every now and then they remember, oh, hey, the Marquis, right? <laughs> and right. there's one episode where the, you're on the Mar- it's the one the Marquis were given. Um, there was one that Marquis were given Tuvok lip because he was trying to train them. And there was another couple episodes where they were given Janeway lip. And there's one where he walks in where all the Marquis are like, yeah, who do these federations think they are? He goes with this one guy and knocks him on his butt. Mm-hmm. knocks him on his butt and stands over him and goes, you want to do it like that? That's how we did it in the Marquis. And even though it could have been an over-the-top scene, it showed you that there was this, there was a danger to 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 um to Kote. And I think about it, they don't really talk about it a lot. But you gotta realize that man, he killed a lot of people and, and having left Starfleet. So he violated his oath, he was violating the prime directive. And there are times with him, he has um almost a quiet power. He doesn't yell a lot, but when he speaks and he's mad, you know it. And there's a couple of times when he would tell people to do something like he and Bellano were really close. But there are many times when Bellano was was um, standing up to him 
he would just look at her and say something and Bellana would just back down. Yeah. And I really saw fast. it. Yeah. And so I see this fire in Chakotay, but then to your point, the very next half a season, he's basically a milksop. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Catherine, whatever you say, whatever you say, it's the Federation way. And then he'll okay. betray her. And then she'll go, you really hurt my feelings. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> Where did all these impressions come from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is it is it possible to say that the character is at once maybe your favorite and your least favorite can you say that well I, yeah i like chakotay a lot when they write for him like you say and yeah. and i mean and beltran and chakotay i guess both are it's a he's a big dude so mm-hmm. when he turns it on he's a pretty intimidating figure that's so the it's, word it's it's disappointing when like you say he's just sort of sitting in the background just melting into the wallpaper of voyager you know but right. I mean, Voyager is a different kind of show than DS9 was. It's a yeah. different style of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, um, they, 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 they kind of didn't know what they want because, and we talk about, you know, if somebody were a captain, well, not, not only did we know because we saw it, but I think if Chakotay were captain, they either would have gone the way the Equinox or come close to the way the Equinox crew, or frankly, they might've just settled on a planet and never left. Because there were many times, like with Scorpion, he's like, Catherine, why don't we just find a nice M-class planet here and just settle down? You know, we're 40, 50 years away anyway. And there are so many times where he would tell her the Starfleet way is not the way. I don't agree with his opinion because he would often say, does the prime directive apply in the um, Delta Quadrant? Mm -hmm. I think that's a great philosophical thing because that's kind of like saying do do morality and ethics apply outside of where you were taught that they should apply? And they really should apply everywhere. So I agree with Janeway, but I also understand why Tuvok was like, um, Jesus, excuse me, Chakotay was like that. <laughs> and I just, again, Charles, I think what you said, I hadn't even really thought about that. It's almost like if you read Superman comic books and you get one person they write, or Batman, they write them this way, and then somebody mm-hmm. else writes them another way. I hadn't really thought about it that you had so many different writers, because to your point, I'll look at a show and I'll go, wow, Tuvok is no, I'm, I'm sorry, I did it twice. Chakotay uh. <laughs> is, is no joke. To and be then, fair, Tuvok seemed like the second officer occasionally. Good point. Good point. He was. And then, and to be fair, he's a far first more officer. Whatever. Good then, point. Yeah. So I think I think Chakotay is probably the most underwritten of all the first officers, underused of uh, all the first officers, um, and that's just a really sad thing. I heard. I actually read this that on the finale. I think it was called Endgame. The finale of the series. Mm-hmm. that Robert Beltran was standing on set and he actually yelled, if you don't have anything for you for me to do, can you at least get me some eggs to eat? He was so done with the show that he was just, he was done. He was, he was just sick of the whole show. He hated his love interest with seven and nine. He didn't know where that came from. <laughs> he he where. Like, That's where it came from. Yeah. Yep. He, yeah. He felt like he'd been neutered. He hated that show by the end. Sadly. Well, while, while, I sympathize, and I think that he had perhaps reason to. Um, I mean, if you don't like the show, quit cashing the paychecks. You know, <laughs> like go do something else. I got you. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. Like, I get the, you. the check's clear. Do your job. Yeah, I agree <laughs> with you. Right. And, yeah. I, and I think he did do his job. Yeah. Yeah. They they didn't give him a very good job to do. They did not. In, in yeah. most cases. Yeah. You know, you would get an action episode here and there where he would have a good part in it, but. As far as making an impression as a first officer, I don't think he does. Yeah, Mm-mm. it didn't help either that, and I th- I think I have this right that the the consultant they had hired for the Native American stuff turned out to be a fraud. He was like from Germany yeah. or something like that, yes. and was just making yes. things up. Oh, um, 
which is probably in part why there's no real culture behind you. You know, there's sort of like just hodgepodge of Native American cliches instead of, you know, having someone who is actually uh, an indigenous American to, you know, give them real things to work with. Now you are right. That guy uh, to this day, Charles, to your point, to this day, people are having to distance themselves from him because even uh, native American organizations had hired this guy. And he was one of those guys who would do research. And, you know, there's a big thing in America with people um, who have part Indian blood, have Indian heritage like Cherokee or something. Mm -hmm. And you have to meet certain criteria to be adopted or allowed into that into that nation. Right. And they consulted this guy on a lot of that stuff. And you're right. This guy turns out he was just a straight up fraud, which is why you get, like you said, this kind of hodgepodge, um, the little flutes that they play, the Akuchimoya, which everybody knows. Uh, the vision yeah, quests. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a tough thing. I, yeah. I, I just think a really underused character, tragic character in some ways. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he would be an interesting character for someone to bring back and do properly. Yeah, yeah I think there's a lot of potential with Chicote. I, I wonder if they'll show up in Picard. That'd be pretty cool. I mean, that'd be completely random and totally unrelated. <laughs> but would. Seven of Nine was in it. Seven right. of Nine's in Picard. He could totally right. come back too. As her ex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but keep in mind that he was dead in the end of the series, so there's no reason to bring him back. Nah, he didn't actually die. Oh, is that it? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> also, I forgot about that. No. <laughs> he, he is dead and done. Sorry. One very interesting thing, uh, last thing I'll say about Chakotay, in my rewatch, I had, again, I guess, because I was so, I had jumped in and out of the series so much, I didn't realize how strongly they played up this attraction between him and Janeway in the first, like, oh, yeah, it's there in yeah. the first two or three episodes. Yeah. Everybody thinks about the episodes. Forgive me, I don't have names, but there's the episode where Chakotay and Janeway get this disease that they can't cure but it won't kill them but it's so dangerous they put them off the ship and they set up a little camp on this planet and tuvok orders the ship to keep heading toward the alpha quadrant and they almost have a mutiny because people are like i can't believe you left them and uh, chakotay and Janeway are on this planet for a few months at least two or three months and just as the ship comes back to rescue them they're about to get to that point where you can tell they're in love with each other and I always thought that was the episode, but no, there's more. There's episodes before that, and there's episodes after that where they clearly have affection for each other. And I don't know what happened with that. And then they just kind of wrote that out. So that became a really silly, uh, you know, line. I'm like, if you're gonna do it, do it. If you don't, don't. And they never really talked about it. They just kind of, it just kind of faded away. Which is not how that works at all. No, no. <laughs> Definitely not. Especially I mean, when you're like trapped on a ship with someone for the same someone for the years and years and years. I, yeah. I felt that was kind of uninteresting, actually. And mm. to me, they had about as much chemistry in, in that sense as um, uh, Gates and Will Wheaton had as mothers. <laughs> <laughs> and it just wasn't a convincing relationship. Yeah. And, yeah. Now, you know, this is all. Slightly off topic, but if you look at um, if you look at the the Cisco family, those two actors are so good together. You Absolutely. know that Absolutely. those characters are related. You know that they're family. Absolutely, and you never really get that sense from the Crushers, and you don't really get that from the, the relationship between Chakotay and and Janeway either. Yeah, they just didn't know what to do with him. It's really That's sad. But to your DS Nine was better. <laughs> well, of course, okay. in every single possible way than pretty much every other television series ever created. 
I, I really wish to you guys point about Chakotay is a microcosm of the Maquis. Honestly, I wish they just hadn't even bothered writing the Maquis plot because they didn't do anything with it. Agreed. And, and then Agreed. every now and then they go, oh, we're Maquis. What? I mean, now yeah. six years later, you remember your Maquis and now you're mad again? I, mean, uh, yeah, I think one of us said this on the show before, but it was a mistake to give them the uniforms. I think I it would have been if they had been in their regular like maquis clothes throughout the run. I yeah. think that would have just been a reminder to everyone, including the writers and the actors, that we're not all one big happy crew. Mm-hmm. You right. know, that we're all working together. Yeah, absolutely. The whole idea was to integrate them to because they're going to be stuck on this boat for, you know, seventy whatever years. Right. But I just don't think it did the show any favors by doing. It would yeah. be like if Kira and Odo had put on uniforms at the end of Emissary and they're now they're in Starfleet. You know what I mean? Like, right. It's so much more powerful when Kira puts on that uniform and, you know, the final, the final season. How, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it means something when it happens there. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Well, I think we've covered the legacy ones pretty well so far. And we've got like 13 minutes left. Mm. Anybody want to talk about Jack Ransom? <laughs> <laughs> we've got some pretty interesting first officers now in the new shows and yeah. jack ransom is obviously the best first officer we've ever had so i yeah <laughs> just wanted to give him a shout out wow <laughs> interesting <laughs> well, well I, I love what i did with um what they've been doing with some of the new the new characters we've had um saru michael burnham Jack Ransom and Jack Ransom in particular, I think he's such a fun pistache of like that Riker Kirk attitude, but a little not quite as competent as those guys, you know, like if you, right. uh, if Riker wasn't quite as good at doing what he does, you, right. you know, um, but and plus he does the the Kirk foo, which yes. is a lot of fun. Yeah, I was gonna say the man can fight. I'll give him credit for that. But I really, I really gained some respect for Ransom um, in that episode where he and Mariner were trapped. Yes. And he stabbed her in the foot and did what he was supposed to do. He didn't just let her be the action hero. You know, he's like, Agreed. no, this is my job. Right. Agreed. And I thought that was like, and that was sort of early on in the season too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, that was when it was like, okay, now we're not just having fun with Star Trek. Now it's Star Trek. Now these characters are like real and they have a real relationship with each other. I, I love that moment so much. I love that whole episode. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then at yeah. the end, he's like, ha ha. You, I may have stabbed you, but you're court-martialed or whatever it was. <laughs> and I like that they have this weird sexual tension that yeah. comes and goes. <laughs> Absolutely. It's either there or not there at all. It's so ethical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of, couple of random thoughts as you're, Mitch, as you're opening it up on the first officers. Back to, for quick my summary of T'Pol. I thought T'Pol was a great first officer, too. I thought that... Um, when Jolene Blaylock was first brought in, I didn't know what to expect from her character. There was, you know, there was a little bit of, they played up her sexuality a lot sometimes, I think, on the show. But I think as the series went on, and I've seen her in a couple other things, not a lot by any means. And she's actually, a, she's a really good actress. And the more I look at her, to your point, uh, Alan, is she went through the stuff when like she um, had been exposed to the chemical mm-hmm. that caused her mental control to break. And then she was for all practical purposes. Well, she was mentally assaulted. It was almost like a sexual assault assault with the uh, enforced mind mill. Jolene Blaylock had to play a Vulcan who was barely controlling herself. And man, the way she would do things like these little, just almost little facial tics she'd have, or the way she would sometimes, you'd you'd almost hear the emotion almost coming out and it's not. And then the whole thing she did with with, uh, Trip 
the relationship that they had where she loved him, but she couldn't say it. As the series went on, I was more and more impressed with her as an actress yeah. and yeah. her as a commander, as a second officer, Absolutely. too. Really great job. I think she's brilliant. I do, uh, too. I do think it took her a little time to kind of find her 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 own pattern. Um, I think T'Pol comes across a little bit wooden, a little yeah. bit stiff yeah. in the first season. Yeah. Um, really kind of like finds her way of, of conveying a character, but still being completely unemotional. And mm-hmm. then really third and fourth season, man, she has hit her stride completely. And I think she's amazing. She absolutely did. You know, it's funny what you say about her wooden. I'm not an actor, but I know that one thing that people always talk about, and this is especially true of things like Vulcans, is if you actually portray a character exactly as they might be, it comes off as unrealistic. If you truly portray like a true Vulcan or even Data, a true android with zero emotions, it comes off as wooden. And I agree with you, as she, like Leonard Nimoy, managed to do, as she did just a little bit of things come in, a little eye raise, a little bit of irony in the voice, just a little bit of emotion. You're right, she became a much, a much better, more well-rounded character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. And I love to the point, because when the, another bold thing about Enterprise was Archer darn near hated Vulcans when that series started. He <laughs> Prejudice. Yeah, I mean, it was rough and it was great to see him and to Paul. And also it's funny because I remember she was reporting on him to the Vulcan High Command. Remember he had to have a talk with her about that, just like Cisco did with Kira. And it was great, <laughs> that mutual respect that they started to have. Yeah. Now, at one point they kind of played up that there might have been a, a romantic or um, a physical attraction between the two. I didn't really care for that. I didn't think that angle needed to be there, except in the episode where he went back in time and he kept losing his memory. I thought that was kind of cool. But I love the friendship that he and DePaul developed, the respect. where she, He came to work. He's like, I'll put this ship in your hands because I trust you, DePaul. I thought yeah. that was a great development. Yeah, the, the sexual stuff on Enterprise often felt like it was written by a 13-year-old. Absolutely. Running around in his underwear. Right. Or he oh, yeah, I forgot become- that. Archer would notice that Paul has breasts and become fluttered, flustered. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There was one episode where she was running on the treadmill and that was really focused on. And I was like, oh, come yeah. on. You're right, guys. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I got really no. slow like that. But, I, but I, I did like the the, the Tucker relationship for Paul a lot better. Yeah. 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 I thought that was really good, too. I thought that was that was uh, that was that 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 gave her a lot of opportunities to showcase her, her great acting talent. It's kind of sad. I don't see Jolene Blaylock much at all. She's she's not acting anymore. Yeah. Oh. She married a guy who's like a prince or an ambassador or something, and she lives out in a rainforest and raises their kids. That's what I should have done. And she's... <laughs> <laughs> what? That's what I should have done. <laughs> I didn't know that. I've only yeah, saw so her. She, she did some things after Enterprise, mm-hmm. but then She's just not involved anymore. She's just not in the business anymore. Yeah. Okay. I saw her in a movie, and of course, she has a she has a recurring role, just a very small number of roles on Stargate SG One. Yeah. Which I've seen her as she became Tilk's love interest. Yeah. Ishka. Yeah. That That's was it. her. Yeah. Yes. You probably the told me that. And I don't remember it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that there's anyone from Star Trek on screen. And I didn't say, "Hey, they're from Star Trek." Yes. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Background character number two. I said that William Shatner's on something. Episode. Hey, they were in Star Trek. Hey, they were a Cardassian. Yeah. Like even under the heavy makeup, he's like, I know them. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> she, I'm sorry. I was going to say on Strange New World, they have the opportunity to 
to bring mm-hmm. someone and she would be the best if, i mean i know she's not an actor and not acting right now but i mean to paul would still be you know chicken yeah. century i would absolutely love it if they were able to have her come on to that show what a great thought i never thought about that 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 would actually work give her one of those pow haircuts yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah speaking of i'm i'm so glad that i know the original thought was that to powell as you said to powell was going to be the person on the enterprise right. instead of to paul i am so glad they didn't do that i i prefer that they just let her be her own character yeah i just to me that almost would have been not fan service would have been an almost a little forced so i'm just really glad they did that yeah and i think the reason was the same reason that Tom Paris wasn't Nick Lacarno and Torek right. wasn't Torek. You know, they just changed the name so they don't have to pay the original writer. But right. I think I, I agree with you. I think it worked out for the best. They changed to Pow to to Paul um, yeah. because they, they you have more freedom with the character. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. If you know the characters in game going into it, it 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 sort of and of course we have that situation with Pike. Right. You know, I mean, it's ten years down the road, but we know where he ends. So, you know, you, you sort of have that as a defining element, which can work for you and can maybe not work for you. I will say, though, we know where he ends up as of the menagerie. We don't know where he ends up after that. So they well, there's, sure, there's more room to play. I mean, where are you going to go after that when all you can do is beep once or twice? And also, is this the same universe? <laughs> once he's living with the Telosians, you never know. I know. I know. Well, that, that's a huge tangent. But I have always wondered, you know, they always they always worry about how do you do, say, 22, you know, 2021 technology from an old show in the time period in which Pike actually exists, would the technology they have only allow him to beep? I tend to think it would be more sophisticated than that. Oh, so of course it would. So, so they know that. Yeah, so you're gonna have to leave it. It's kind of like the original uh, pilot where they were getting a paper printout on the bridge. They <laughs> 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 so, literally are. You see it coming out. It's great. Or even even TNG where they have the multiple holopads or DS9. <laughs> they have like this holopad for this, this holopad for this, this holopad for this. Not like sorry, they hadn't they hadn't thought of Windows yet. <laughs> well, maybe it was in his living will to have uh, the most dramatic. You know, (laughs) (laughs) make sure you give me a big reveal. And every time someone comes in, I'll turn around slowly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're we're three minutes out. If anyone has any final thoughts on our, the legacy first officers. Kira. Awesome. To Paul. Awesome. Chakotay. Not so much. Sometimes awesome. Sometimes awesome. Potential. I agree with Alan. I think that I think that I like them all. I think that Chakotay was the most underwritten and underutilized. I think Dunright, a first officer, is a great character because what you don't want is a first officer to be a mouthpiece for the captain. You want a first officer who's going to challenge the captain even while they obey their orders. And the best ones I think we're all talking about, that's what happened. They kind of challenged the captain and they had a little slightly different thought than the captain. At the end of the day, they followed the captain, but you don't want a yes man or a yes woman. And I'm just going to throw this out. I really wish we could find a way to follow uh, Commander Shelby. I agree. (laughs) I agree. I love her character so much. Me too. All right. Well, I guess that sums up our our discussion of the legacy first officers and Jack Ransom. (laughs) (laughs) So, Alan, if people want to hear more of what you have to say, where can they find you? Okay. Uh, Cosmicpress.com, K-O-Z-M-I-C press.com. Hulanta.org. And we have a a virtual Hulanta coming up May 29th. And 
I have a Sunday evening music show on uh, YouTube and on my Facebook page called Alan's Music Room. Awesome. How about you, Keith? <laughs> you can find me on Facebook, on all the ESO network groups, also on Instagram, and those are the best places to contact me. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com and also virtual Hulanta. Woohoo! Yep. Cool. And if you see an announcement that we're going to be appearing at live conventions soon, no. disregard it. Disregard. <laughs> someone got overly excited and convinced someone else. And then yeah. the other someone was One like, of us well, reads here's the reasons we shouldn't really should do this. And I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. So, I just gave away who was whom. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> So we're, one we're of still holding really off excited. on that for now, but hopefully yeah. when the world gets back to normal, we can get out there safely and right on back to conventions. Right on. Fingers crossed. Fingers All crossed. Right. All right, Veronica, did you have a, uh, a closing for us? I was thinking about this and I have the last few closings that we did in my brain. Just go. Don't leave them waiting. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a Dracula right now and that's all I can think about. Um, What's, what's a well, how about thing? this? How about Keith? How about let's hear your more of your Janeway impression instead? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have a good one, everybody. Set a voyage for home. <laughs> Uncanny. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.